episode 56, Dr. Nisi Moore, owner of the LCI Life Coaching Institute. <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> Did it seem like a mistake at the time or just a, just a big change? Oh, Mark, it felt like, what have I done? I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth, and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For show notes, links, and more, go to markraven.com slash mistake56. Please subscribe, rate, and review. And please share the podcast with a friend. Please subscribe, rate, and review. And now, on with the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven, and we're joined today by Dr. Nisi Moore. She's joining us from um, suburban Dallas area. So um, before I introduce her... Um, Nisi, thank you so much for being here. How are you? I'm awesome, and I am honored to be here to spend some time with you and your audience. Yeah, well, thank you for that. And um, Dr. Moore is uh, the owner of LCI, or the Life Coaching Institute. For over 25 years, um, Dr. Nisi has been uh, inspiring, motivating, and transforming audiences to align and connect with their destiny. That's a really uh, important, uh, important goal. Her vast experience as a successful business leader and an endless pursuit of advanced education has her being heralded and celebrated by industry leaders like Tony Robbins. Um, so uh, again, with that, uh, Nisi, thank you for being here. Your, your um, advanced degrees, your PhD is in what field? Psychology. Okay. So that, that positions you really well to, uh, to work with others as, as a coach and more, I'm sure. Absolutely. Um, so before we, we talk about um, the work and the impact that you have on others, you know, I think we like to dive right in if it's all right with you, if you have a story um, for us. What is your favorite mistake, Nisi? Well, you know, I came out of graduate school and they told us we couldn't build a practice. So, of course, I had to build a practice when they tell you <laughs> it's just impossible. And I spent years doing that. But I came to a time in my life where, unfortunately, I was going through a divorce and I had an offer to become senior director of worldwide training for a company. And I did it right, but I took the leap and I closed my practice. Mm. Ah, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> did it seem like a mistake at the time or just a, well, just a big change? Oh, Mark. It felt like, what have I done? I have spent my entire educational career and my professional career building something that I am just closing. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and after I made the announcement, because I gave 30-day notice, I made referrals, but I just went into a complete panic and said, I've lost my mind. Now I can't get them back. What am I going to do? Well, how long did you have that practice when, when you grew it against um, the odds that others laid out for you? How long did you have that? I had had it almost 15 years. 
Mm, okay. So, wow. So quite some time. Yes. Yeah. Um, so what, what happened next? I mean, did, did, did this turn out to be a mistake or was it just the fear of it being a mistake? I'm sure there's more to the story. I was certain it was a mistake the morning I woke up and it was too late to turn the decision around. And to be honest with you, for the whole first year, I wondered if it was a mistake. But fast forward, I could not have made a better decision. Hindsight, that Monday morning quarterbacking mm-hmm. <laughs> is always twenty twenty, And it truly yes. was an amazing decision. But at least for the first year, I thought, I have really been in my life. Oh, so what, um, what made you, I mean, other than the concern of leaving the practice, what made you fear that it was a mistake and, and how did your thinking evolve over that year? It sounds like maybe some of that wonder went away. Well, it, it felt like a mistake because against all odds, I had done something that, um, had been presented as something that was just a thing of the past, and I loved my clients. Mm-hmm. I had amazing clients. I had previously had inpatient and outpatient treatment centers, and so I knew a lot of people. And I think I felt like I let them all down. Mm-hmm. And so I cried myself to sleep many, many mm-hmm. nights thinking, Oh my goodness, my thinking was off and I've blown what I've dedicated my whole life to. Oh, wow. Um, I'm, I'm curious to go back a little bit to the beginning when, when you finished graduate school. You know, why, why, do you, why did others tell you it, was a mis- it might have been a mistake to start your own practice? I'm curious what the thinking was and has that thinking changed now mm-hmm. over time, generally speaking? Well, interestingly enough, at the time, there was a lot of research that was just supporting data that no one wants to see a fresh graduate. Now, I had had a mini career between my undergraduate and my graduate studies, so I was a little bit older than many of the 20-year-old students. So um, I think that a lot of it was there was just a lot of people fresh out trying to, Mm. like me, trying to act like they knew something. (laughs) But for me, it was like I came to school to own my own business, not to Mm. go work for someone else. I had good jobs before that. So, uh, But now I think the thinking has changed mostly because of the emerging wonder of coaches, business coaches, relationship coaches, health coaches, life coaches. And I think now the the general consensus is if you've got the fortitude to get yourself out there, it's probably a good idea. Yeah. Well, can I imagine what you were entering into when you started a practice or even now as a coach, I'm sure that's a, it's a highly competitive market. So as an entrepreneur, you uh, have to figure out, I guess, how to differentiate yourself, how to connect with people. What were some of the key factors that you found, um, I guess, building that first practice? And is it fair to say building kind of this, this, this other, this newer practice of yours? What were some of the, the key factors or were there any mistakes along the way in that? 
Oh my goodness, the mistakes abounded building my first practice. Um, I was so determined and desperate. I would tell people, I'll see you for five dollars. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which meant I had to continue my uh, waitressing career much longer than perhaps I should have. Um, the other mistake that I made was believing that I could just help anybody with anything. And, mm-hmm. and to a certain extent, that's true because it's all about how we think and what's going on in our brains. But I didn't even know anything about neuropsychology at the time. So I think I cast my net too wide. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I brought in a whole lot of people that were probably not who I wanted to serve. Yeah. Um, is that something you have to guard against now? Is that a mistake that you learned about in kind of the traditional psychology practice that you've brought forward into being uh, more of a coach, if that's the right way of putting it? You know, I'm a big believer and there's so many terms for it in today's market for the, for your avatar to know who your avatar or your ideal client avatar or your niche market. I do think that's really important. Not that you're stuck with that, but that you at least know so that your net is cast. It's pretty hard to catch flounder in a river. Yeah. <laughs> is there salt? I'll, I'll, I'll take I'll take your word for that. I'm not a fisher, but I'll <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, um, maybe we can go back and, and, and touch on um, a little bit more of your story, but, you know, I'm curious now, um, like what is your profile of, um, leaders or, um, business owners, entrepreneurs, et cetera, that, um, you think are best suited for, um, the coaching work that you do? I pretty much, uh, say that and it sounds a little bit general, but it's really not is that, I want to work with people who want to change their inner world so they can change their outer world. Mm-hmm. And basically that boils down to people who have that deep yearning and passion to make a difference, uh, whether it be in business, whether it be in their family, whether it be in their church or their community organizations, they have that deep longing to leave a legacy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how do you just, I guess, how do you discover that fit? Is it a matter of how you communicate what it is that you offer? Or is that from an initial conversation to try to gauge that fit? Certainly, I have those initial conversations. But I am pretty clear in my messaging now about mm. who I believe I can best serve. And more than one of the clients now that has evolved into training in certifying coaches with various specific, uh, specifications and fields and certifications. So um, I have taken the step up into multiplication. <laughs> I don't just want to help one on one. I do that because I'm passionate about it. But I also want to help business owners uh, pastors, business leaders, community leaders, leaders of families, people starting, entrepreneurs, I just love working with because no one would be an entrepreneur if they didn't want to get out there and make some sort of difference. Right, right. And so you've, you know, you've been down that path yourself. I'm sure that 
really helps you connect with people. Um, so I'm curious to go back um, a, a little bit, Nisi, to um, some of your you know career arc and the different things you did. So you told us about um, closing your practice of 15 years and feeling it sounded like feeling more bad about leaving people behind than you were worried about next steps. Um, when did you decide to, it sounds like you decided then to go back out on your own and, and uh, tell, tell, tell us about that. Well, I had a wonderful five, six years of traveling the world. And through that opportunity, I developed a workshop called the power of purpose. And I did that all over the world with translators and, and it was absolutely a wonderful ride. And about five or six years into that, my uh, my father had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And mm-hmm. he was a big man, and my mom could no longer take care of him by herself. Mm-hmm. So I opted to come off the road and move them to Dallas with me and begin to take care of them. And I don't regret that decision at all. Sure. But- because I was at home, I had to rethink what's next. And I decided, boy, I've learned all over the world about people who have that deep yearning. And that's who I want to serve. That's who I want to train. And thus, Life Coaching Institute was born. Yeah. And so that sounds like the type of thing, as, as you put it, that can have a multiplier effect of training and developing coaches who can then fan out and, and, and coach others. Um, you know, I'm curious, you know, I've, I've interviewed, um, you know, a number of coaches on this podcast and, and, you know, very engaging people with, with interesting stories of what maybe led them into that. Can you, can you, I'm, I'm curious, you know, the importance of um, training and certification, because it seems like on one level, anybody can say, hi, I'm a coach. And if someone is willing to be coached, then, you know, they, they move on. But how important is it to have um, the, not just the credential, but some formal training and methodology as a, as a coach? Well, obviously I believe it's very, very important on several levels. Number one is we are in initial talks and I've been involved in some of the professional organization that it is going to be a regulated industry in the near future. Mm-hmm. So those who do not have certification, um, I just strongly encourage them. And I don't, I'm not one who says I have the only program or the best in the world. We have a great program, but there's many great programs out there. So I encourage those, no matter how effective you are, go ahead and get some certification now. So you have the opportunity to be grandfathered in. But another level, Mark, when we are speaking into people's lives, businesses, families, organizations, I think we have a real responsibility to understand some basic things like how does the brain work? How does the brain and the heart align or not? I think there's some basic things and basic techniques that we all need so that we're not just spouting out personal experience and wisdom, which is very, very important, but it mm-hmm. needs to have some foundation to it. Because mm-hmm. I tell people every day, I'm in awe that I, I for these 45 minutes, have your business in my mm-hmm. hands. For these 45 minutes, I have your marriage in my hands. I don't take that lightly. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so earlier you mentioned, and maybe this, you know, I think what you're, you're touching on here, the idea of neuropsychology and, and some science and basis that goes beyond um, experience, uh, life experiences. Can, can you tell us more about that? I can. Um, in graduate school, I have to say that I don't think I emerged all that prepared to work with people. I knew a lot of systems. I knew a lot of theories. I'd done a lot of internships, residencies, but I don't think that I really had a grasp on other than supporting people and, and encouraging them. I don't think I had a grasp on how do I intervene in what's mm-hmm. wrong in your life. And I happened upon a book at that time, um, that was called The Brain Train and mm-hmm. it never was a big book, but for some reason, it crossed my path, and I'm like, wow, how we are wired really affects everything. So I began my own independent study with masters in the fields and advanced education learning about neuropsychology, and it just provided such a powerful base that I continue in my study and understanding our brain and how we work and how we think. and. It's just so fascinating. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, these days uh, you, you read more um, like, you know, about, you know, phrases like maybe, you know, brain science uh, is one phrase that I've heard. And I've, you know, I've, I've, I've been exposed to a few concepts, like one that's stuck with me. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Um, I've had a chance to interview uh, a psychologist from UCLA who has studied um, some of what I would call my day job, like, you know, helping organizations with continuous improvement mm-hmm. and some of the, you know, the psychology around um, facing change. And uh, Robert Moore talks about, you know, the idea or the science, you know, even when a change is inarguably positive, like we could say logically, this is better, um, that our brain can sometimes get in the way that the, the, the amygdala fires up, the fight or flight instinct kicks in. And, um, you know, I think that's really insightful. The one one takeaway from me is if I ever did this, I, I don't know, I would never stand and lecture people and say, well, you shouldn't be scared of change because that seems unrealistic. What, what, are your, what are your thoughts on all of that? Oh, the neuropsychology on change is so fascinating because like you said, we can acknowledge that the change from this to this in my life would be so much better. But knowing that it's better is not enough to wire our brains to do anything about it. And if you don't intervene in the level of the massive computer between these temples and all the way back, (laughs) uh, the change is, Number one, not likely to happen, and number two is not likely to work. Mm-hmm. So, what in your experience, or from the science, or both, helps take somebody from um, knowing what to do? And so, I'll, I'll, I'll use an example of you know, um, I know things that I have been able to do in the past. So, if I want or need to lose ten pounds. I know what to do in terms of diet and rest and exercise. I've demonstrated this to myself in the past. So to your point, knowing what to do doesn't always translate into consistent 
disciplined action? What, what, what can we do about that? Well, I narrow it down to two things to get people started with any change. There's a lot written right now about find your why. Uh, and I yes. believe your why is important. I call it find the fire in your belly. What makes mm-hmm. you want to do this? Well, I'll look better when I lose that 10 pounds. My pants won't be so tight and make me squirm in my chair when I lose. It's easy to do that. But neuroscience tells us our brains are wired more to avoid pain than to mm-hmm. move pressure. So, yeah, find your why. But if you don't get a fire on your backside, which mm-hmm. is what's going to happen if I don't lose these 10 pounds? Yeah. Then, if you don't have that, you're not really wiring your brain to do anything to mm-hmm. help you. But when you have a fire in your belly and a fire on your backside, what are you going to miss out <laughs> on? What's going to happen? Yeah. What's going to happen if you have a heart attack before you get to walk, walk your daughter down the aisle? What's going to happen if you continue 10 pounds every year after COVID and you can't get on the floor and play with your grandkids? Uh-huh. You've got to have that fire in your belly. What it really does in your brain is it says, yeah, I want this good stuff. The why is important. But uh-huh. what screams in your brain when it's alert, 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 danger ahead, danger ahead, uh-huh. that's what really moves us toward change. Uh-huh. So of these two fires, it sounds like, you know, the fire in the belly is maybe a little bit, you know, internally motivated based on pants, looking in the mirror, seeing myself on video. But then that fire in the backside might be lit by somebody else. Like I think my my primary care physician is saying, you know, hey, you're on the verge of uh, pre being pre-diabetic. Yes. And that is something that I don't want to get into um, based on family history and it's it's reversible if I take action now. So there is a little bit of that downside that's become a little bit more clear and that that is to your point more motivating. Absolutely. And it sets our brain to only accept one thing and that's change. Mhm. Yep. Yep. Um so you know I mentioned earlier and on on your website and um you know you talked about being um, you know, celebrated by um, Tony Robbins. Um, he's so well known. I've been exposed to, you know, a little bit of his work over the years. Um, how, how, I'm curious, your experiences, how closely did you get to work um, with him? How was he an influence on, on you and your work? Well, back in his earlier days, um, I worked very closely with him in setting up his coaching program. And mm-hmm. um, his impact on my life I I tell people this sounds so dramatic, but apart from God, he's had the greatest impact on my life, mostly because he got in here and straightened out some real messes. One of the things people don't realize is that what we believe and what we think is installed on our hard drive by the time we're eight and nine years old. Mm. We unconsciously do some editing through good times, bad times, ups and downs, but our basic process is set and we don't even know that. So we don't explore it. And I tell people what he did is he got a hatchet 
and split my brain <laughs> <laughs> surgery and life became dramatically different very quickly for me yeah and i'm forever more grateful for that yeah well it's good you paint a vivid picture i'm glad you 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 recovered from that no i, I know you mean figure it i know you mean figuratively but, yes um, definitely figuratively but it was that dramatic <laughs> felt that way yeah yeah i mean so that's interesting to think about um thinking of, of of childhood and i guess that imprint comes from a combination of family school society things that we then i guess don't consciously think of. Like I think of an example sometimes I've heard people use the analogy of um, uh, the, you know, the goldfish can't explain the water that's surrounding it in the bowl. Well, we know goldfish don't talk, but you know, but I think this idea of like, if, if that goldfish takes that water just so much for granted, how, how would a fish explain that to a land-based animal? I don't know if that's a helpful <laughs> analogy but how, how do we help people sort of you know unpack what what surrounds us in a way that maybe helps us um, move away from what might be some mistakes that are driven by that sort of unconscious imprint yes one of the things that I do with people and certainly spend a lot of time training my coaches with is you got to start with what's quote normal to people and I have a whole process that I lead people through to discover what's quote normal to them. And then I help them correlate. Here's what your life will look like if you maintain these norms. And or is that the direction you want to go? And if it is, celebrate that you've got great norms. But most of us need to select the good ones and keep them deep within us and change a whole bunch of the rest of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure that that's 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 quite a process and you're able to work people through that and in terms of how that affects their professional life and their personal life to kind of help evaluate that and figure it out. It's yeah. not it sounds like it's not a process of you telling people what to do, but more a matter of helping them figure it out. Fair to say. Absolutely. Yes. I always tell people when they say, well, what would you do in my situation? And I'll say, I'll tell you what I would do in that situation. But I have a whole different psychology than you do Mm -hmm. I'd Mm -hmm. rather help you see what is mine and what will be the result if I do that and do I need to do some work here yeah and and I think there are parallels and again thinking to my work you know as, as an engineer who helps people with continuous improvement I've made mistakes and I've talked about this and written about this of being put in a position of trying to come in and tell people what to do and it's it doesn't work I'm like, I'm over that. I'm done with it. I make sure I don't get put in that position anymore. And, and that's where, you know, the little bit I've been exposed to ideas from um, counseling and therapy and psychology um, have, have been incredibly helpful, even if I'm not formally educated or formally trained in, in those areas. I, I hope it's not a situation of a little bit of knowledge being dangerous, but I see you nodding your head, like maybe I'm on the right track there, at least on the idea of don't tell people what to do. Definitely. Yeah. Um, one of the things I want to ask you about, again, our, our guest um, today is Dr. De- uh, Dr. Nisi Moore. So I make a mistake sometimes. I apologize for that. Dr. Nisi Moore. Um, so you, you mentioned a workshop you develop, and, and there's um, you know, information about this on your website, Uncovering Your Extraordinary Power of Purpose. Like what, in, a, in a nutshell, 
what is that that workshop um, and how is that approach helpful for people? It is a long day workshop. Uh, it's 12 hours, uh, but it's purposefully 12 hours because of the power of immersion. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's just a workshop to help people figure out why am I here? What are my unique gifts and talents? And how might I use them not only to serve me and my family, but to serve my community, the world at large, whatever that is. And most people either do not know at all what their purpose is like, or the ones that do often have had um, a religious moment, which I'm all for, but where someone said, here's what you're supposed to be doing. And sometimes that works out beautifully, and sometimes it has nothing to do with their unique gifts and talents, and it causes mm-hmm. some consternation. But through a series of exercises, they have no idea at the beginning of the day where we're going. But we are doing little bits and pieces in fun, hilariously fun exercises. And little do they know at the end of the day, all of those little things are going to come together individually, not as a group, individually. Never have I had anyone leave without the moment yeah because we lead them to it Uh well um, thank you for sharing more about that people can learn more uh, at dr nisi moore's website Um, i'll make sure there's a link to that in the show notes dr nisi.com it's n-e-e-c-i-e dr nisi.com um, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story. I mean, it sounds like, you know, uh, you know, well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you, you took that leap that you fought through and built a practice and that, you know, you didn't let that, um, that fear of the mistake and that change hold you back from doing the other things that you've done. So thank you for sharing that story and for having a good conversation here. I think this will be really helpful for people. I hope so. And it's been delightful to be with you, Mark. Thanks again to Dr. Nisi Moore for being a guest. Uh, for links and show notes and more, go to markgraven.com slash mistake56. If you like the podcast, the best thing you can do is share the podcast, send a link to a colleague or a friend. Coming up next week on the podcast, our guests are Art Bell, the creator of the Comedy Central Cable Network, more than 30 years ago that he did that. And we'll also be joined by the legendary management consultant and guru and author, Tom Peters. And I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they've started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work, and they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.